You're listening to episode 98 of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is John Mark DeRoe, and I'm joined as usual by Jonathan Hafes and Brad Brown. It is Wednesday afternoon, and it's sunny outside. It's just everything feels right in Fourth Stream Studio today. What say you guys? I say yay. <laughs> that All sounds right. like a pirate thing. I don't know. R. I, I agree. I agree. If and, anyone, go ahead. Yeah, sure. I was just going to say, if anyone hears any loud noises today, uh, it's because I, you're right. All things are right. There is work going on in the kitchen right beside us. Some new flooring over there. Yeah, there's just a lot of things happening here at Shades Valley. In particular, we have a big event coming up at the end of the month that is Shades Midweek related. It is going to be the 100th episode yes. of Shades Midweek, and we're going to celebrate it with a live party slash event. We're going to live record. We're going to live record the wow. podcast. We've got a lot of fun things planned. One of those things that we've talked about is an email contest. And while we haven't really discussed the details too much amongst ourselves, we can do so now <laughs> as we're recording this. My Sounds thought like a good idea. was right now we're reaching out to the midweek audience, the midweek fan base. If you can write the the funniest, most maybe most interesting, I don't know. If you can write the best email and send it to us, <laughs> we're, just, we're just generically going to decide what that email. means. Uh, yeah, we're going to judge which is best. <laughs> mm-hmm. We will read it live at the midweek event. That's right. We're only going to read one that night. Yeah, I feel like it's got to be concise enough, or else people are going to lose interest. But it's got to be long enough to have depth to it. Right. So, so friend- I think that's the challenge. So, friends of the email corridor, do your best. Get your computers out, your typewriters, uh, your what field notes. However, you like to write these emails out. Yeah, a lot of typewriters. If you I'm, need to I'm deliver sure. it by horse and buggy, that's fine. If that's what you prefer, does it still count as an email at that point? Yeah, maybe if it's an electronic horse. What is an email? Electronic in, in mail. In theory. <laughs> One thing I neglected to mention was the date and time of said recorded live recorded event. It will be That's on important. Wednesday, February twenty third. Yep. Starting at six PM. It'll probably go till eight. We're yeah, encouraging right. everyone to bring their own dinner. Bring your dinner. We'll have tables set up. There will be prizes, so we don't know what those are, but like for the email portion of this competition, there will be prizes. Big time um, prizes. Yeah, it's just going to be crazy. We're going to be in the foyer here the at The youth Shades. are going to be there. They've committed. It's, it's oh, Their wow. leaders have committed. They are going to think we are really stupid. I yeah. believe <laughs> I believe that uh, I believe that the prayer team is coming. They're taking a night off from oh. praying. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That's right. Oh, we're really yep. disrupting the ministry, the real ministry here <laughs> to I do know. this. Now that you put it that way. Oh, uh, but... Anyway, well, so, Jonathan, Jonathan yeah. why don't you share with us what happened this past Sunday? This past Sunday at Shades was a pretty big deal. Yeah, it was awesome. So this was our first Sunday back in one service, and yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. And I, I thought it was really cool um, that we actually were more acoustic musically. That was one of the things that was really cool that morning because I mean, you could just the the volume of the voices in the room singing together was just something that we've obviously been missing for a really long time, and. And so that was incredible. There were just so many kind of classic Shades moments, too. You know, whether that was funny moments of, like, uh, Brad uh, having a a live mic moment on the live stream before (laughs) the service. That was very funny. 
Did yeah, you say was... anything? Did you have any controversial conversations? <laughs> I didn't. There might have been an individual that I was talking to that would regret a few words they decided to use in the midst of the conversation. But, you know, I went back to the live stream and listened, and I didn't hear anything. Okay. So I think our team cleaned it up very nicely. <laughs> I bet Patrick went The, the went record has been scrubbed. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there was that. There was a really funny moment with Bill reading scripture. Um there and then there were really great serious moments too. A lot of people shared yep. in the back half, and it was just it was just a good day. It was yeah, just a good. It was day. great. So really excited to keep marching one service this night. New service time as well. Ten o'clock. That's right. So that's what that was one of the things that was crazy is we definitely ran long on Sunday, um, and we still got out earlier than we normally would. <laughs> so, I know. So yeah, that's cool. Ten a.m. So yep. That's going on. Awesome. One other thing I wanted to mention before we get into everything today is uh, I just wanted to keep up with our theme of talking about Auburn basketball real quick. And last night, yeah. Auburn had a big road game against SEC West foe Arkansas. Arkansas came in on a big win streak, mm-hmm. and they defeated the number one ranked Auburn Tigers men's basketball team. So congratulations to Arkansas. Wow, John Mark. I don't know if we have any Arkansas alum oh, I'm sure that go to Shades I'm or sure that there, listen. Yeah, I'm sure there are a few. But but it was a I close game. It was an overtime game. That's right. Which was very exciting. And technically, Auburn has not lost in regulation this year. Uh, both losses came in overtime. So still undefeated in regulation, <laughs> which is – I don't think anyone else can say that. You know <laughs> – and there goes the humility right there. Started out so strong. I just I just need people to know that as much as y'all make jokes about uh, we're a, we're a basketball school now and all of that. No, no, we're an no, everything school, no, Jonathan. No, no pe- right, everything people school. need to know that it's legit. SUNY Lee, do you know who SUNY Lee is? Yes, I do. We have okay. a great equestrian but, but, team. They're number three in the country. Swimming as well. Yeah. People need to know how legit this is, though, because I now occasionally – over if for anyone who doesn't know, our walls here at Shades are notoriously not soundproof. <laughs> and um, and yes, I, you do need to know that I overhear conversations in the foyer between Brad and John Mark about Auburn <laughs> basketball all the time now, and it just cracks me up every time. I'm like, they're legit into this. Like, yeah, big well, time. the one thing we are is always confident about our opinions. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. So, well, Amazing. fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Episode 98, do we have a, I guess it wouldn't be a 98th album of the week because it took us a while to start that. No, I don't know where, I don't know where we're at. Well, do we have an album of the week? An album. Yes. James album of the This is it. That's her. I, I cheated. I looked at your sheet of paper earlier. I didn't know who it was. <laughs> I was like, man, Jonathan was, called it. Yeah, I was. I was like, really Jonathan impressed. has been listening to this album. I wanted to seem really impressive. Man, you should have stayed with that until the end of the episode. Should have, and then done a callback. <laughs> yes, uh, my album of the week this week is Anais Mitchell, her self-titled record that just came out in January of this year. This track was the first single off the record. It's called Bright Star. 
She's a singer-songwriter, folk artist. She's been putting out music for a long time now. I admittedly didn't know who she was until, uh, well, the, the first time I was introduced to her was when I was listening to a previous JM's album of the week recommendation, which was the Big Red Machine album, the Justin Vernon uh, side project. And she is on a few of those tracks. So that's how I found out about her. And this album just came out. It's beautiful, very subtle. The instrumentation is great. There's a lot of cool textures. None of it's overdone. Her songwriting is kind of upfront. Um, she has a really interesting vocal uh, style too. But uh, I I love this album. Been listening to it the last couple of days. Apparently, she is known for. She's not just a songwriter and a musician, but she's also a playwright. And one of her albums she made into a Broadway production that was nominated for eight Tony Awards in, in 2019, and she, including the Tony Award for Best Musical. So she's a pretty, um, you know, I don't. She's she's done a lot of good things. Pretty prolific. She was she was raised Quaker. Also, that was an interesting fact oh, that I, I mean, found out about her. Qu- Quaker is interesting. There's quite a spectrum to it. Yeah, um, I wouldn't know. I don't know any, really any much about it. There's so. well, not to get too far off the the path, but there's a spectrum all the way from like you almost wouldn't be able to tell the difference from what you know. Like I have a friend that went and pastored a Quaker church, and it was very similar to kind of standard run of the mill evangelical right. church, all the way to like you wouldn't recognize it as anything. Right. Like it very intriguing. Just look look it up if you're interested. Yeah, so check mm. out so check Back out album. that album um Aaron Desner from the National played on the record. Um he's kind of everywhere right now. He's doing a lot of things and so he played on this record. She has her own band. I'm trying to find the name of her band. I don't remember what it's called. They put out an album last uh, 2 years ago. Anyways, great record. I highly recommend it. Let me know what you think of it. Anais Mitchell. It's a self-titled album that just came out. Yeah. Nice. All right. We have a book today. We might. Hey everyone and welcome to Bradford's Book Club. We are so excited to have you with us. Now guys, there's a special date coming up pretty soon. Do y'all know what that date is? I see it's February. Oh, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Now I know you guys both have... Hallmark's holiday? I know you guys both have big plans. Y'all want to share that on the book club? I just got pointed at. Um, Holly and I don't really do Valentine's Day. It's a true story. Wrong answer. And I wish she was here because I always get like railroaded when I say that it's like, yeah, yeah, right. Y'all don't really, that's, that's a you thing, Jonathan. I'm like, no, no, like legit. My wife, my wife is not very pro Valentine's Day. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love my wife. I will buy her all the cards she wants and candy and flowers. Okay, well, I digress. That was just simply an introduction. I thought since Valentine's Day is right around the corner that I would talk about a book that Jordan and I have been reading together 
by John and Julie Gottman. John and Julie Gottman are giants in the world of marriage counseling, and they've written a book called Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. And so there are so many interesting little things that they throw out in this book about relationships based off of their research. And I was going to talk about them, but I forgot the book at home, and I did so in a place where my dog can reach it, so the book is probably now no more. But uh, I'll try to remember. One of the things they said that was interesting is, you know, like uh, eHarmony, for instance, in their advertisements, they talk about their kind of uh, ability to match people based on compatibility, so it's kind of like eHarmony like an algorithm. has this system, this algorithm, and it's going to match you with somebody you're compatible with. And being compatible with somebody, that's going to lead to a long, satisfying relationship. Well, yeah, like if you find your soulmate. Like it's all yes. about finding your Yeah, it's all soulmate. about finding this one that you're compatible with. And so the Gottmans say that's actually not true at all. Based upon their research, they say that there is no sort of compatibility algorithm or system or test or something that has proven to produce long-lasting intimate relationships. Interesting. Well, the entire <laughs> basis of mine and Holly's marriage has just been undermined. Right. Yeah. So, but you know, I just think that's kidding. I think that's kind of interesting because sometimes we can think that you know in oh, our culture sure. it's about finding the right one. For so sure. they have little things like that throughout the book. But what they do in the book is they encourage couples to go on eight dates together, and each date there is a chapter that's dedicated to the date. And so you read the chapter beforehand. So maybe the chapter is on the topic of trust. Maybe the chapter is on the topic of finances. Maybe the chapters on the topic of sex, whatever it may be. You read this chapter and you go on this date and you talk about the questions they have at the end of the chapter together. It sounds like premarital counseling. (laughs) Yes, but continue throughout your marriage, which is important. Yes, 100%. (laughs) To constantly uh, address all these issues. And so they say these topics in the book are essential for couples to address and work through and communicate about if they're going to have uh, intimate, long-lasting relationships. So while it's not written from a Christian perspective, I think there is a lot that Christians will resonate and can learn from the Gottmans. It's also available as an audiobook for those who are oh, interested. It's available as an audiobook. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. So Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. By John and Julie Gottman. Oh, no, excellent. Thank you, sir. I yes. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm adding it well, to Happy my, Valentine's yeah, Day, program. everybody. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, I had a I had some notifications go off. I had Oh, okay. Yeah, a signal. A signal from beyond. Mm. Oh wow. Actually what actually I received some emails from the email corridor. So I think we should all Put on uh, our hazmat suits uh, because you never know what's down there, and you just want to be careful. Uh, it's it's sort of like when you know in a science fiction film, when the crew 
gets to their destination, and maybe right. it's a planet that's never been explored before, and they're always very careful about the that's air, right. the oxygen. They don't know. They just don't know. Oh, there's it's, definitely it's some, the great unknown. Yeah, there's definitely some lead-based paint down there. So let's take a trip down to the email corridor. Email corridor with asbestos ceiling. The email corridor. Oh, I forgot about that mold of the church I need to look into. Oh. Right. That is actual, actually real. So there were a couple <laughs> of emails that we received into the corridor. Uh, Jonathan, I printed off that one for you if we want to start there. Yeah. The first one from a longtime listener and self-declared president or king, I forget what the title is, of the like northern chapter of the Shades Midweek fan club, Dale Anton. Dale. Dale, it is great to hear from you again, Dale. And he apparently listened to the entire episode uh, that we did on how Christians relate to the law because we got a subject, balloons. Or he listened to the episode where we talked about that is possible. The email. Uh, anyway. I think it was before that. Yeah, I so do. I I do. Is, no, that's right, that's right. All right. So Dale writes, gentlemen, there. Oh, oh, sorry. Gentlemen, balloons. There, that's out of the way. Uh, I've been downloading and listening. I just haven't been writing. My life has been uh, so much turmoil over the last few months since I last corresponded with you in October of 2021. Uh, Gentlemen, it sounds like we got a little bit more of a serious email going on here. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm still a fan of the way y'all share the life and theological fabric of shades with the greater community. I'm very appreciative of the chance to hear from the church members and three of you. The last week of October was a rollicking start to our, Kim and my, is, is that his wife? I'm assuming that's I his wife. I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, to their life in a rock tumbler. Uh, we had sold our house in August and purchased an RV coach to begin the path toward retirement in June of 2022. God wished to remind us that he is in charge of life, and we were caught a little off guard when my mother got sick and asked my sister to take her to the hospital in mid-October. Uh, She, my mom, uh, was realistic and had the goal of entering a care facility. Uh, That plan of hers went a bit sideways the last week of October when she began to exhibit some signs that the blood cancer she'd been diagnosed with seemed to be resurging. Uh, My sisters called to tell uh, tell me my mom uh, was truly struggling and I needed to consider coming home to Minnesota to visit with her. Kim and I called our sons to relay the message, and I told my employer I was going to retire that week. Uh, I wanted to be free to attend to my mother and my family in this time of crisis. The visit to Minnesota was uneventful, and the visit with my mom was encouraging. There were many medical issues that needed to be resolved, but she was in good spirits and was making all of the calls regarding her care. So many things happened that first week of November. We put our RV into the shop for some repairs, sold both of our cars, purchased a car that we could tow behind the RV, took that trip to Minnesota, and on the return trip to Alabama, Kim observed that the rocks in the tumbler were quite large, but she se- but seemed to be mostly avoidable. Then my sister called us the Monday before Thanksgiving to let us know that Mom was not responding and things were going badly. Mom had been admitted to the hospital, and that flexibility I needed was put to use. We headed out to Minnesota that evening. Our friends from Hope Church, that's the EFCA church uh, that he's a member of up in Huntsville area, our friends from Hope Church were so helpful. We got to the hospital on Wednesday at noon and stayed until 8 p.m. that evening. Mom was prayed for to the point of our exhaustion. 
We do not pray for our desire, but that God would do as he chose for my mother, heal her or take her home. We knew he would do as he pleased, and when he called her home early on Thursday, uh, we were sad but filled with the joy of her life and his promise. Uh, I have now accepted retirement, um, and we have moved to the next phase of our life. We are in the process of applying to the EFCA Crisis Response Agency to become long-term, part-time missionaries with them. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. For those who, who don't know, um, and we should we should do an interview sometime with somebody from the EFCA Crisis 100%. Response. Mm-hmm. But that's the the arm of the EFCA of our denomination that like responds anytime there's like a uh, a tornado or hurricane, any kind of natural disaster or any kind of crisis response. Um, we continue to listen and hope to one day come to observe the Four Streams Studio magic. <laughs> I don't know if my printer cut off anymore. It says, uh, enjoy yourselves, yes. have fun. Serve God. Serve God. Dale and Kim Anton. Yes. Wow. Dale, brother, you've obviously had quite the end to the year of 2022, but mm-hmm. we're thankful to hear about all of it and for you to share all of that with us. And it's just awesome to hear what the Lord is doing in the next phase of y'all's life. And, and brother, I just want to encourage you. It's such a, such a testimony. I think that, uh, entering into retirement, like you're, you're not viewing retirement as like just a let's vacation for the end of our life. Like you're still seeking out pursuing ways to serve the Lord and to yeah. be active. And I just, yeah, I just think that's awesome. Y'all going to work with the uh, crisis response agency. Yeah. And so cool to have this connection through the EFCA. Yeah. And to hear about Dale's life and, and what's going on and to be encouraged by that. So, so awesome. And in all seriousness, Dale and Kim, if you are ever in Birmingham or if you know that you're going to be in Birmingham, please let us know in advance and we could have you on the show. Oh, that'd absolutely. be great. We, that would be very cool. Dale, we will make an exception. You do not have to be a member. We will do a meet right. Dale Anton episode. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. It's own series. <laughs> I mean, and you you deserve it after no we kidding. spent several weeks uh, wondering whether or not you were a real person. That's right. <laughs> was emailing us. So, but thank you for email. Here at Shades Midway, we can be serious. That's right. That's right. Being. So thank you for your email. Well, yes. I think we have another email um, yes. to turn to that's maybe, I don't know, less serious or a combination of serious, not serious. I don't know. Yeah. I don't it, know how to categorize it's, this It's a one. fun email, and we actually got a third email, but uh, it's it's something else. And we're just going <laughs> to – that's all I'll say about that. We're going to save it till next week. It needs its own space. Uh, this actually comes from uh, Shades member Doug Abernathy. Douglas. Doug. And I don't know if Doug has ever written in before. I don't remember to Doug Shades right. I think he has maybe once. Okay. If Doug, you have, I apologize. We apologize if <laughs> we're not remembering correctly. Um, now, Doug is the head of our finance team. I feel like that needs to be stated. <laughs> yes. 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 Faithful member. Um, That's right. Yes. Which I should also say, the very first time I met Doug, maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago, it was his first Sunday here. We stayed after talking, and he asked me about Shade's finances. <laughs> yes. Listen, the man He's been on that so track since he got the here. man loves spreadsheets. He loves a budget. He was getting questions at the annual meeting, and he was like, "I love all these questions about yes. the budget." Like, I live for this. <laughs> so him being the head of the finance team means that all Shade's cash is stored in a bag in his backyard. Oh my word. All right. Uh, the title of the email is Questions for the Three P's, mm. Pastors. 
Uh, hey, Shades Midweek, I doubt these are frequently asked questions, so maybe one day these could go in an Asked Questions episode. <laughs> that day has come. That day is here. That questions is, that from That is like Doug. so on par with Doug's humor right there. I just right. love it. <laughs> okay. JM, I greatly enjoyed your chat with Zach Hicks. When you have cool guests like that, I secretly hope it's going to turn into a meet-a-member episode like it's a press conference announcing the signing of a star-free agent. <laughs> Would love to hear more of your thoughts on the tweet string you shared during that episode about the topics of worship songs. How do you make selections as worship pastor? What are some differences between songs you enjoy personally and songs we sing in the service? All right. I just need to point out, Doug, that's not one question. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, so, yes, we're going to address that. I'm gonna, we're going to read the rest of the email. Jonathan, I need the truth on what the Bible says about Santa and the correct way to teach children about him. Oh, my word. Now, I realize it's a little early to ask, but in Shade's time, it seems appropriate. I heard you did a blog post about this years ago. I could probably search for, but as the old liturgy goes, why do for thyself when you can let the pastor do for thy? <laughs> it's just right out of the King James. <laughs> oh my word! So okay, I would just I would just like to point out that I got the least serious of all these <laughs> That's questions. True. I don't know what this says about my relate. Doug, what does it say about our relationship? Oh, it says a lot. Uh, it's fun for Jonathan to get silly, though. No. It's going to be fun. Yeah, Brad. You are many things, and one of those things I believe is being in the know, especially you have him so deceived, <laughs> especially on the latest happenings in Christian pop culture. On one of the final episodes of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, they discuss the how do you say that the docent group. Is that how you say that? I just want to point out to Doug since he gave me the the silly question. I do believe I'm the only person in this room that's listened to the entire podcast of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yes. Oh yeah, no for sure. So ha. Doug. <laughs> uh, and the different levels that this group, uh, that they help pastors prepare for sermons. There were also the recent headlines about Ed Litton, new head of the SBC, having a sermon writing team that plagiarized sermons by J.D. Greer. Can you give insights into the range of sermon preparation practices across Christendom? If you were a non-pastor... <laughs> I just love the look on Pat's face right now. Brad, I want Brad's to know how so the Greek Orthodox right prepped their sermons. <laughs> if you were a non-pastor looking for a church, are there any sermon prep practices that would discourage you from joining a church? Signed, so this won't get deleted. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Doug Abernathy. Um, I just feel like Doug would ask a question like, hey, would you explain the difference between Democrats and Republicans? And then would you go on to say which one the Bible advocates for? <laughs> like, that feels like a Doug Abernathy question. Um, well, we read through the email. Um, Doug, we really all, do appreciate first it. First of all, thank of you. Of course, of course. Thank you for sending us the email. No, these are great questions. And that and that email is actually what we're going to dedicate the rest of our time with here today is answering these questions. With Brad's question, however, we did discuss that and we decided that we're going to leave that for another episode. Because it's I've, a great question because oh. it brings up so many things. Yeah. Right, and I think we could really dive dive deep into really dive deep we have lots of thoughts about plagiarism i mean this podcast gets plagiarized <laughs> all the time you know and so no, i'm just kidding but, yeah. but we do we, we we actually do have lots of thoughts and and various stories personal experiences all of these kinds of things 
related to this issue of sermon preparation and plagiarism. So we were like, yeah, let's give that one a hold up. Yep. So with that in mind, we are going to, however, answer the questions about Santa and <laughs> worship. So uh, let's start with Santa Claus. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the Santa question first just because I don't Sh- think this should take too much time. <laughs> Now, should we tell parents if there are any children listening? Do children, they need to, if there uh, are, yeah. par- this is your warning. If there are children listening, okay. uh, turn it off or, or <laughs> plug their ears or whatever you need to do. So I could ask this it's, question. This is my legacy. It's February, and this we're is, talking about Santa. This is all I will be known for. Jonathan is known around the world. I will die, and this will be on my tombstone. You, I think you should write a book. So no, I literally have um, you thought about that? So so I have. I used to blog a lot. I don't anymore <laughs> and um i feel like that's a lot of people it, it is it is it's, it's every person that lived through the mid-2000s um and uh i only ever had two blogs do what could be considered i guess well or kind of go viral or whatever this was really the only one that truly went went viral and when i say went viral i mean i had i mean i could see the stats on how many people were looking at it but like i had friends in ministry in california and in florida and new york who called me to be like dude people in my church are reposting your blog on their facebook this was back in like 2013 2014 yeah i remember looking at the map the world map and <laughs> it was getting hit it was getting, hit. it was getting hits in russia <laughs> I was like, bro, people are reading this in Russia. I was on Putin's radar. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah, so the the title of the blog was Why the Hafes Don't Do Santa. Uh, and then in parentheses it said, it's not what you think. Um, and so that, but if, yeah. It's, but at first, like, that title, Dude, it's going to hit people. I have a friend from Florida. He's in ministry in Florida. And that, uh, I went home that December. And I met up with him for coffee. And when he got out of his car and he saw me, he goes, well, if it isn't the man who killed Santa Claus. <laughs> It'd be an interesting experiment to see if you would have titled it positively, if it would have gotten as many hits. Right. I don't know. Or if it even get as many hits now. I don't know. I don't know. Let's put it back out there and it see what happens. It gets hits every every December. <laughs> oh, my it. word. Anyway. Yep. Okay. So, Doug, since you don't have the energy to look up the blog, I'm just going <laughs> to summarize it for you because I feel like my summary answers your question. I mean, as far as, like, what does the Bible say about Santa? Nothing, Doug. <laughs> it says nothing about Santa. <laughs> now, can we? You don't, you don't need to read Greek <laughs> to, to get that Nothing one. about Saint Nick? Now, can we? <laughs> Can we extrapolate some theology, some principles about how we should interact with things like Santa? Sure. I don't think we need to go into a a lot of depth. Uh, Doug, listen to previous episode entitled The Genetic Fallacy. Uh, and that kind of yeah, explains my... Yeah, I think my, that was two episodes ago. Yeah, maybe it, episode exp- I, in there I kind of dip into some of my thoughts just about Christmas in general. Because usually when people are asking this question, it's coming from one of two places. It's coming from either, uh, okay, a lot of our Christmas traditions aren't actually Christian. Uh, they come from pagan mythology. And so, I mean, you know, William wrote in and told right. us about like some of the origins of the modern Santa myth and flying reindeer yes. and all that. Krampus. Um, right, right. So so this comes from non-Christian places, so we don't need to celebrate it. I actually wrote a blog on that uh, about the, it's the pagan roots of Christmas, question mark. You can look that one up. <laughs> on the same year, <laughs> it did not get as many hits. You've got the book already written. <laughs> you just need to publish this. Right. <laughs> exactly. 
oh. But anyway. Santa um, explained. But the other place it comes from um, are our parents usually asking along the lines of, there, there's a concern, like, isn't Santa us lying to our children? Yeah, that's and, a big one. And And if we lie to our children about this and, and kind of like devastate them somewhere along the way. Is it going to like damage their trust in us? And, and more specifically, like because Santa specifically is coupled with Christmas, which is all about Jesus. If we lie about Santa, are they going to think we lie about Jesus kind of thing? So that's usually where this is coming from. Here's basically a summary of what I say in the blog. I tell everybody I grew up with Santa traditions. My wife, Holly, grew up with Santa traditions and we both have wonderful memories of Christmas. Neither of us were traumatized. <laughs> Because our families included Santa and all of our Christmas stuff. Um, but what's funny is that Holly and I, our largest disagreement during our dating phase was actually over this question. Whether or not we would do Santa with our children. Um, wow. Might be a little, it might be our second largest argument. Um, but I was it was, a, say, it was well, a the bliss one. of dating. Do you want to guess who was pro-Santa and who was not? I think ha- are you, think, you probably think, know. You I think Jonathan was pro Santa. I was. I was mm-hmm. the in the pro Santa camp. So, so what like won me over to to her side? And and in the blog, I say it's not anything that you might expect or have heard before. Like the fact that the word Santa can be rearranged to spell Satan. <laughs> like that's not the reason. Oh, it wasn't that we worried that our children would think, oh, they lied to us about Santa, so they're lying to us about Jesus too. That wasn't that that's a reason for some people. That was not a reason for us. No, ultimately for me, it came down to one central thing, time. And what I basically argue in the blog is I only have so much time with my kids, only so much time to, to point them to Jesus. And so when I looked at the Christmas season, which, which is already so cluttered with so many things, and I was like, what am I going to allot my time to? Santa just lost. Um, and, you know, I, I was like, well, that's something I can let go of, and it can fall by the wayside. Now, as soon as I say that, it leads people to ask a million different questions. And so in the blog, I addressed the top three that I get asked. I will actually address the top four questions now because since the blog, I've got another one that's become definitely a frequently asked question. Um, so <clears throat> question number one I get asked when I tell people this. They ask, uh, how do you shield your kids from Santa? Simple answer, we do not. <laughs> uh, we want our kids to be knowledgeable about the culture they live in. We want them to be able to interact with it, engage. Our kids are very aware of Santa. That they We don't like shield them from certain shows they watch claymation rudolph they've seen frosty they they are very aware our kids have sat on santa's lap at the mall before because they said they wanted to now lest everybody start calling me a hypocrite (laughs) um oh so like some people got the vibe like you don't interact with santa at all yeah it's like no movies like no books no yeah at the mall it's like don't look kids like who is that no yeah (laughs) shield your eyes yeah yeah um we can't participate in that in any way right 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 and and, and that's it no we just the way we talk about santa is the same way we talk about like mickey mouse like he's like a cartoon character he's uh you know all, all of these things and so for my kids, Santa is on the periphery of the season. He's just not at the center of it. So, like, for instance, if you were to ask my kids, like, where do your gifts come from? Like, Santa wouldn't come into the equation for them. They, they wouldn't talk about that at all. They would talk about, well, our mom and dad get them for us. And if you ask, well, why do you all give gifts at Christmas? Again, they would talk about, well, it's to celebrate the greatest gift that was ever given. Like, God gave us Jesus, blah, blah, blah. At least I hope that's how they would answer. Um, 
<laughs> oh, um, and this is not a holier than thou thing. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. This is not me trying to be like, yeah, everybody should do this. And this is, oh, Jonathan's so holy with his kids and his family and those who do Santa are not. That's not what this is. The reason you're answering all these objections is because there were a few comments on the blog. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, there, there were. There were a few comments on the, the blog. The timing of that was actually Sorry. really good. I was like, comments on the blog. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's actually really fun. If you want to go look the blog up, all the comments are still there. Still there? With oh, all that, of my replies. That would be a it. fun episode just to oh, read through all those read comments. Read through the my favorite one was uh, when I originally wrote the – I didn't mean to get off on this. But when I originally wrote the blog and I talked about the section where uh, these are not the reasons that we're, we decided to do this, I, I, I made a comment about the whole, like, it's not something absurd or silly. Like, oh, we worried if we – our kids thought we lied about this. We thought we'd you know, be lying about Jesus. But I kind of characterize it as, like, it would be absurd or silly for anyone to think that way. And man, I got ripped pretty hard by a commenter being because I think that's why they chose to do. Or they're like, there are people who that's a legitimate conviction. Um, but what was funny was like, I, I mean, I really took it to heart. I was like, and I changed how I wrote it in the blog. I went back and edited it. I told them I was like, I'm I'm really sorry. Like you're right, and I've edited it and changed it. And their response to me was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> like it was just the like, anger just got immediately <laughs> like diffused. diffused. On online commenting and stuff. Anyway. Do you know right. if anyone commented and said that that was their actual experience? Like that they uh, didn't trust what their parents said about Jesus because of what they said about Santa? No, I didn't get anything okay. like that. I was just curious. Um, anyway, okay, so question number two that I get asked a lot is what do you do in place of Santa? And what I tell people is that I'm like, technically we still include Santa. Uh, we just do something on December the 6th. That is the feast day of St. Nicholas. So on December the 5th, we actually have a book that we sit down and we read our children about St. Nicholas. It's a way of us explaining to them why this Santa character is even like here. And do you know what the book's titled? At all. Uh, something like the real story of St. Nicholas or the true story of St. Nicholas. It's got a red cover with St. Nick sitting on the front with kids all around him. If you look it up and show it to me, I can tell you. If it's might make an appearance. On the book club. On Bradford's book club. But we read that book, and then, yep, that's the one right there. St. Nicholas, the, the real, real story of the Christmas legend. Yeah, there you go. 2007. Um, So we read that book on December the 5th, and if you read the book, you'll know why we do the next thing. My kids actually put their shoes outside of their bedroom door on the night of December the 5th, and when they wake up in the morning on December the 6th, there's little gold chocolate coins right there by their shoes. So anyway. I love it. So we do include that. Um, but then people are still wondering, like, well, what do you do for the rest of December? Well, we've just, as a family, turned a lot of our attention to Advent and the practices of – so so typically every night we're, we light the Advent wreath, we read Scripture, we talk about what it means that Jesus came and he will come again. You know, Advent's a season of waiting and longing for the coming Messiah, the greatest gift. And so, so Christmas works is like this perfect teaching analogy because it's kids waiting and longing for the coming of gifts. And so – yeah, so we we still we do all the normal stuff. We still sing songs. We go look at Christmas lights, you know, and we talk to our kids about how this should remind us of the light of the world who was coming. We decorate a tree, much like Jesus would come and make a cross, a tree, a beautiful symbol. So we simply just try to take all of our traditions and use them to point to Jesus and keep him at the at the center. So, yeah, question number 3 I get asked is and this is the one where I'll respond to the I think I'm holier than thou for doing this kind of thing. What in the world is happening? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, Metallica for you, holier yeah, than now. Yeah, just getting accused right here. No. <laughs> Question number three. Do you think doing Santa is harmful and that other people should make the same decision that you have? So I answer that question, yes and no. So in other words, I think there is a way of doing Santa that can potentially actually be harmful, uh, but it doesn't have to be. And the biggest thing that I encourage people is like the traditional form of doing Santa uh, is like uh, it's not gospel centric. In other words, Santa keeps a checklist of who's naughty and nice, and you got to work really hard, <laughs> behave rightly, so that you can be rewarded with gifts. And I'm like, that's that's kind of workspace righteousness. And our kids are already little legalists; they don't need help. <laughs> like with that being reinforced, you know, I um, feel like I've seen that vibe with. Um Elf on the Shelf. So I wrote a third blog that season called The Elf on the Shelf Who Stole Christmas. <laughs> Let's address that in a later episode. We've never done I'm Elf not, on the Shelf. No, I'm, I'm not saying... Man, like year 2014, I, I was being all sorts of controversial. No, no, no what, I'm, was I'm this not saying that Elf on the Shelf like, inherently leads to that. I'm saying I feel like Is I've the, seen some things. Oh, sure. Where people use that to kind of have that. I mean, you can't tell me it's not creepy vibe. that we sing about him seeing children while they're sleeping and he right. knows when they're awake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't knocking anyone that does Elf on the Shelf. I'm just, I'm, I just like I've to heard be some silly. stories. We're going to get some emails off of this for sure. Yeah, this is. <laughs> why? Why are we doing this to ourselves? Oh, anyway. Um, but so And next, who you should vote for in the upcoming midterms, according to the Bible. <laughs> but anyway. What I tell people is, I'm like, Christmas is, is all about the gospel, and grace is designed to, to contradict uh, legalism. So to put it in Christmas terms, we were all on the naughty list. Jesus took our lump of coal. I'm, that, that feels shameful. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, we'll take that out. But so that we could receive the eternal gift of Well, your of book will be edited. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's in just, other words, I, I tell people, I'm like, if you're going to do Santa, I think that's totally fine. Absolutely. But. You know, brainstorm, imagine, dream, think of ways that he too can be a pointer to Jesus, a pointer to the gospel, a pointer to grace. And so, so just, yeah, my big encouragement to uh, other believers is like, I mean, this, this season is ultimately about Jesus. So let's make it ultimately about Jesus. And I don't think that means, oh my goodness, we have to shut out Santa or anything like that. So Doug, yeah. I, I think this is an area of Christian freedom. Mm. I, I think you are free to do Santa with your children. Um, just keep Jesus at the center. And non-essentials liberty. Right. Oh, I left out question four, which I can do really fast. It's people ask me, how do you keep your kids from telling others, telling their friends that Santa's not real? That's a big one. Um, so I just threaten them within an inch of their life. I'm just kidding. That's not what I do. No, no, no. You won't get any presents. No, <laughs> no we just tell them. We, we tell our kids uh, uh, Santa is kind of like a game that some parents play with their kids, don't spoil the game. That That's all we say, and, and literally that's worked. I have never had my children tell another child. And I don't know that that's good parenting. Maybe it's just my kids' personalities. <laughs> but, yeah, that's just that's that's how we talk about it. All and right. So, and, yes, they would get in trouble if they told another kid, you know, because that's mean. That would be, They know they're not supposed to. That would be them intentionally being mean. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's it. That's all my Santa stuff. All right. We've solved Santa. <laughs> all right. How old are Doug's children? Do Doug, you guys know? Doug's little girl uh, yeah. can't be... T she's not two yet. 
She's got to be sitting in the eighteen month range. I'm so ba- maybe this I'm is a top. This maybe this is a topic of conversation in that. Well, uh, well, his also, bride is is currently be. Ashley's uh, pregnant. Yes. Um, yes. And I believe it's public knowledge. And if it's not, Doug, I apologize. <laughs> I'm going to drop it on Shades Midweek. Oh. Maybe we should text him before we put this out. <laughs> no, yep. not that she's pregnant. That's public knowledge. Oh, but, okay. But she's pregnant with twins. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we should text him just in case. I will text him. <laughs> it's got to be public knowledge. They've told everybody. I'm going to text him right now. I just now. get nervous. Okay. I edit I the podcasts. And yeah, it is on you, Jomar. I, I, <laughs> I will text him right now. That was fun. That was great. Okay. That was fun. Okay, so let's answer uh, this question that Doug had for me about worship. So he was talking about the beginning of uh, his question, was talking about our episode with Zach Hicks. Zach Hicks is a worship pastor. He wrote a book called The Worship Pastor. Um, he was at Advent uh, here in Birmingham. Uh, he has become an acquaintance of mine, and I had him on the show last year. We talked about worship. We talked about CCLI, various things. Um, yes, I agree. He is awesome. Uh, as far as the uh, free agent comment that Doug made, that would be amazing if Zach was here. But Zach, uh, if you're listening, mm-hmm. let us know if you're in free agent status. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, Zach's awesome. Uh, but there there was a uh, Twitter thread that Doug mentioned that I mentioned in the episode with Zach. And so I went back, I found the Twitter thread. It's about worship. It's about um, it, basically the top 25 songs uh, in the CCLI. And the CCLI is a Christian organization that deals with copyright law and music and worship music. And so, like with Shades, for example, we pay a, a CCLI license fee every year. This allows us to do the songs without, you know, re- legal action recourse for doing the songs without having the permission to do them, basically, because we do a lot of songs that were written by other people. Um, it also allows for those songwriters to be compensated uh, for their work being played. And so CCLI does a lot of work in this area with churches and they keep they have a way of tracking what churches uh, what songs they do on Sunday mornings. And so there's a CCLI top 25, a top 100, and you can go look it up. Um, and so this whole thread here, this Twitter thread, I'm not going to read the whole thing. So th- these are the songs that are being played the most. These are the in most churches. most popular worship songs. So there's this um, person on Twitter named Michael J Rhodes who's he's writing a book. Um, let's see He's writing a book on, about discipleship oriented towards justice in Scripture, okay? And so as he's writing this book, he's doing all this research, and here's what uh, he found. He says, just work through the CCLI's 25 most popular worship songs after spending months studying the Psalms. Here's what stands out. Justice is mentioned only one time in one song in the CCLI Top 25, uh, Mishpat alone shows up 65 times in 33 different psalms. Did I say mishpat, right? Is that correct? Mishpat. Mishpat, okay. The poor are completely absent in the top 25. By contrast, the Psalter used varied language to describe the poor on nearly every page. The widow, refugee, oppressed are completely absent from the top 25. Enemies are the third most common character in the Psalms. They rarely show up in the top 25. When they do, they appear to be enemies only in a spiritual sense. Maybe most devastatingly in the top 25, not a single question is ever posed to God. 
the top 25 never asked God anything. Um, the Psalter uh, bleeds with the cries of the oppressed pleading with God to act. This is completely lacking in the top 25. So he kind of goes through this whole thing. He basically says many of these songs are written by a handful of organizations. Bethel, Hillsong Elevation. He says, let me be clear, I love many of these songs. I sing them regularly. But the church has put the production of what we sing into the hands of professionals. And if those professionals, Bethel, Hillsong Elevation, for example, keep writing songs that just edit out enormous portions of the biblical language of worship, churches will have to fire them and find other resources or our worshiping lives will be impoverished. And I'm trying to see if there's anything else of note that I should mention. Yeah, so what Doug was kind of asking was uh, he'd, he'd like my thoughts on that tweet uh, string that I just read. And then he he further asked, how do you make selections as worship pastor? Uh, because these things definitely go hand in hand. Because what's happening with CCLI is that a lot of times, um, and I'm not faulting anyone for doing this, um, but when worship pastors prepare their uh, Sunday morning uh, set list and flows and the songs they're going to choose, they do use CCLI as a resource. They say, okay, what what are other churches singing a lot? Therefore, you know, those songs are probably, maybe they're played on the radio. Maybe our congregation, maybe our members know these songs already, so these would be familiar. They come in and know these songs. Um, and so all that's good. Um, I think what tends to happen, though, and what this uh, Twitter thread points out is that you get massive themes in Scripture that are then left out because a lot of the top 25 is written by, you know, a very small select few songwriters and so a lot of these themes that Jesus talks about a lot in the Gospels um, are completely left left out, and no one is singing them on Sunday mornings. And when I say no one, I what I, I'm definitely broad. In, in, in it's general. broad, yes. In general. Um, and so that plays into kind of what we do here at Shades and how I select songs as the worship pastor here. So I kind of wanted to just walk through a little bit of what it looks like uh, in the week, and you guys are more than welcome to jump in at any time, especially if I miss something or you want to point out something. Um, just what it looks like on a week-to-week basis, just planning uh, the worship service and what that looks like practically and spiritually. So basically what we do is the three of us and Joseph Wonski gather each Tuesday in the afternoon, and we have our worship planning meeting. And usually at this meeting, there's a lot of practical things that we talk about, but generally it's to gather together and Jonathan or Brad or whoever the uh, preacher is for that week, they have their scripture passage already uh, chosen. and Most you know, of the time. Most of the time. And, and hopefully by then they have a few thoughts on the, the direction of said sermon yeah, and that, themes and yeah, things like that. That's why we do it on Tuesday so that <laughs> Monday, and the, it's Tuesday afternoon, and so yes. Monday and then a little bit of Tuesday we can hopefully not just come to the table and be like, oh, uh, <laughs> you know, we, exactly. we, we've, got, we've got some things going. It's funny. This is a funny Jonathan thing. <laughs> Jonathan will sit down and be like, okay, so I ha- honestly haven't put a lot of thought into it. I've right. only looked at the text a little right. bit, but here's right. what I'm thinking. So I've outlined it in four ways, and <laughs> this is what I'm going to walk through. Here I'm going to talk about this. Here I'm going to talk about this. Here I'm going to talk about this. And, and it's here I'm basically talk about this. the sermon. It's basically the sermon. <laughs> you guys it are It's so great. Anyway, go ahead. 
It's so true. And that that gives me time as the worship pastor to then uh, hear what kind of the direction that he's going with with that passage, what themes he's drawing out of that. Because at Shades, uh, and I believe this isn't always the case at every church, but at Shades we definitely center, since things are so centered on the Word and what's happening uh, in Scripture that morning, we actually like to build the set list thematically around what's happening in the sermon. Right. Well, and this is one of the reasons, too, uh, we, our, our normal practice is we're, we're preaching through something, right? So like right now we're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Normally we're preaching through a book or what have not. Right. And usually it's sketched decently in advance, like what passage is coming up on what Sunday. Now that'll get interrupted or it'll get shifted a little bit here and there. But that even provides, so like John Mark on Monday, 90% of the time already knows what the passage is going to be for Sunday. So, right. so he can read it and he can be praying through it and think through it. And then that can even like give us some more powerful confirmation when we come together. If like what I'm thinking and what he's thinking is already along those same lines. And so, so yeah, that's part of the reason we do that kind of planning ahead. And a hundred percent. And then from a practical standpoint, basically what happens is after we hear where the sermon's going for that week, we start throwing out songs together as a group, and it's usually just a smattering of songs. So it could be new songs, old songs, songs that we haven't done in a while. Maybe there's a new song that we did a few weeks ago that we'd like to do again um, for familiarity's sake and for the congregation to learn. And that usually helps me because I like starting with a bigger pool of songs and then kind of limiting limiting that down to maybe the five or six or however many we're going to do for that week. So we start with the word and the scripture passage and the themes, and then we we go to songs. Now, another part that plays into this is that we've actually, and we may have talked about this in an episode before, but we actually have uh, a flow to our service, our Sunday morning service each week, that is really based on, uh, it's based on the gospel, it's based yeah. on the story. And so I just wanted to mention that real quick, um, because I think that's helpful to know as well. So do, do you want to talk really? I didn't know if you're yeah. going to talk really quickly how the flow does that. Yeah. So so we basically start with uh, creation, you know, Genesis one. And within that, we on Sunday mornings, we have a call to worship. So this is partly why we sing the doxology um, every Sunday, which is something that we started a few years ago. We hadn't always done that, but um, it's a nice way of centering yourself and pointing everything to Christ, God, our creator. Yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. The idea is that God speaks first, yes. and our worship is a response. So just like He spoke all of creation into being, and we respond in in worship. And if you'll notice, usually our first song carries a lot of those kind of big, yes, big creator themes. type themes, yes. or or they're just very about God and who He is in His character. Uh, so you know, I know, like for instance, one of our favorite songs to lead off with is like a. Um, all creatures. All creatures of our God and King. Yeah. Yep. So, Praise the Lord, ye heavens, mm-hmm. is another great one. And it doesn't always have to be like a fast song. We, right. We definitely mix that up a lot. But yeah. So that's what's happening at the beginning of our service. That flows into the fall, mm-hmm. uh, where we are able to confess our sins. This is why we do our confession of sin every week, to recognize that... Uh, we are broken, and we need to bring our failures before God corporately and confess those sins together. Sometimes we do that through uh, a red liturgy uh, that I choose that week, 
or we sing a song like we sang a song this past uh, mm-hmm. Sunday that carried those themes. Right. And a lot of those, the red liturgies, um, there are some that are just kind of like standard, really well-known, been used throughout Christian history. Uh, but then on occasion, uh, we, we do have resources we can look at to see, is there a specific one that's been written that really fits well thematically with the passage that we're covering this week yep. and what it talks about? And sometimes we even might write our own. Right. Mm-hmm. Very true. And then that leads into uh, the third portion of the service, which is redemption, where you have the assurance of pardon, uh, the, you know, the forgiveness of sins, remind, reminding ourselves that we have a Savior in Jesus. That leads into past the peace where we... Can I say grieve. something about yes, the assurance of pardon? 100%. One of the things that I love about the assurance of pardon, and I think a good assurance of pardon does, is it actually speaks the good news over people. So it mm-hmm. says directly to the congregation... In Christ, your sins are forgiven. So it isn't this kind of abstract right. forgiveness. Yes. It's speaking it over the people. In Christ, for those of you who are in Jesus Christ, know right now your sins are forgiven. And another thing with the confession, sorry to move backwards, it just oh, came this to great. mind. Oh, but, yeah. but sometimes I've heard people say, oh, well, as I was like going through the confession uh, and I was kind of reflecting on the week, I don't think I did all those things. That the confession was saying, like, Lord, forgive us for we haven't loved our neighbors as we ought to. Like, I mean, I'm kind of looking back at the week and I don't think I didn't love my neighbors or what have you. I need to meet this person who thinks they have perfectly loved their neighbors as they ought throughout the week. <laughs> right. And there might be some other. Like, Sorry, I didn't, ne- mean, I didn't mean to belittle that. Or like, not. we've neglected the poor. Like, I don't feel like I've neglected right, the right, poor. Right, right, yeah, right. For sure. Like sure. that kind of. And I think there, there are two things. To point out one, like Jonathan just stated, um, we definitely have not done these things perfectly. There are things that we could have done that we didn't do, and then there are things that we potentially did that contributed to the confession. The second piece, which I think is so important, and I don't think we often go in with this mentality this is a corporate confession, right. So we are confessing this as a people. This is corporately together. We as a church body. And so it's not just me because I'm no longer just an individual. I've been joined to the body of Christ. And so we confess as one, as the church. And then after that, we hear the good news of the gospel together. So, yeah, just just to put a little a little bit of text underneath the legitimacy of, of the confession. <laughs> um, our good old brother James, uh, the brother of the good Lord Jesus himself. Um, yes. He, uh, he, he would say that, you know, lest we think that we are perfect, you know, that if we falter in one part of the law, we are guilty of the whole thing. Yep, totally. You know? So so it's, it's important to recognize, like Brad was saying, uh, it, what we're doing is we're, we're, we are saying as a body confession is a regular rhythm of our life, mm-hmm. you know, um, more than like trying to think through, okay, what boxes, what actions, what thoughts tick these specific things in my life this week? Yeah. It's more a posture. Yeah. Coming totally. For the Lord in this posture. And I do think good confessions that are written aren't overly specific in the sense of like, I lied to my spouse or something like that. I, I think is if you're doing a corporate confession, I think that's probably poorly written. If it's getting into right. these like really specific things where you're like, well, I'm not even married. And you're, right. you're Southern. You have a Southern accent. Right. Apparently, I don't know. For why. that example. <laughs> um, 
I don't know why that happened. But yeah, sir. <laughs> well, go, and, go ahead. And I do think it's important to point out this is not the, the Catholic practice of confession. The Catholic practice of, of confession involves penance. So I come and I, I confess my very specific personal individualized sins, and then I'm given penance, which are actions to do to make reparation for what I have done. That's not what's going on here at all. We are corporately, as the people of God, confessing that we do not live up to sin, and we're immediately hearing and being told not that we need to do something, but that Christ has done something. Yep. We're hearing the assurance of pardon and what yeah. Jesus has done. Yeah, it's a forgiveness applied afresh to us in the moment. It's yeah. not trying to persuade God to forgive us right. and because we're, not, we're really contrite or something. Right. Yeah, and we're not being forgiven by the person reading the pardon of assurance, like as if they are our priest and our mediator. They are reading on behalf of the congregation. Here is what Jesus has done for yes, you. Yes, exactly. Good stuff. <laughs> And then, uh, like I said, that that leads into uh, the section titled Redemption, where we hear the good news of the gospel, the assurance of pardon that is normally read over the body. And uh, we also have this time where we pass the peace. We extend the peace of Christ uh, to each other. And uh, that's always a beautiful, beautiful time of the service. We also give our offering. We give thanks to the Lord and give generously and with joy to the Lord. And then Jonathan normally does his sermon. It's kind of falls under this. And Yeah, what, what's cool at this point is, so there are four movements when we talk about how our, our service is shaped, and we talk about it shaped by the gospel. We're, we're talk, there, there are different ways you can look at the gospel. You can look at it through a wide-angle lens, or you can look at it through a very narrow lens. You know, narrow lens is how most of us uh, in evangelical circles grew up talking about the gospel, which is more like, this is who God is. This is who I am. Personally, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. I'm in need of Jesus's work uh, through faith, blah, 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 blah. But become a believer in Jesus uh, and I'm saved. When we talk wide angle, we're talking four big movements of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Right. Like those are the four big movements. So at this point in the big service. Big storyline of scripture. Yes, right. yes, yes. Right. So at this point in the service, we've moved through the first three before we ever hit the sermon. And if the sermon does what it should do, it yep. will recapitulate all of that. It yes. will take us back through, here's who we're, what we're seeing about who God is in this text. Here's what we're seeing about the fact that we're fallen and we need God in this text. And this is where we get a little more narrow lens and, mm. and gets applied more personally. And here's what Christ has done. And so the ser- the sermon should end naturally leading us to consummation, to celebration, to because yes. Christ has done all this, we can respond in worship and celebration. We're welcome to the table. Like it ends at the, at the table, uh, which is a place that celebrates our communion with Christ now and the coming consummation when we will sit down face to face and feast at his table. So so that's kind of what the sermon is doing in its piece right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so And so even if the sermon, let's say it doesn't strike one of the notes particularly hard that Sunday, this is what I love about the setup of the service is all the notes have already been struck. Yep. Before yep. We ever get, like, so, so for instance, no one should hear, if we're, if we're in the Sermon on the Mount right now, a lot of these messages are calling for righteousness, for us to live righteously. No one should hear that as works-based righteousness because it's coming in the context in which you've already heard the gospel. You've already heard, this is what we believe that Christ has done for you. And so so that's mm. that's what I love about the the flow of the, the service and what I love about 
the fact that we come to the table each week, we're led mm-hmm. straight into that fourth and final phase. Yeah. Well, and I was going to echo too, Jonathan, with what you were saying about the sermon hitting those four movements, maybe striking different notes louder than others. I try to do that as well with that back half worship set. So, and that may differ from week to week. So some weeks we may just say, Hey, we're just going to do three or four celebratory songs about what God has done, his work on the cross um, and just go there. Or we may say, you know, this sermon is kind of ending with, you know, we need to take some time of reflection and think about those that we need to forgive. And so maybe there's a song maybe more about forgiveness or like loving our neighbor, coming right. together as a church is one, different things like that. But there, but those elements, so in other words, the set list is also kind of doing what you would do in the sermon right. as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's important to recognize um that the the service as a whole is meant to preach. Like, yes, there are these individual elements, but the service as the whole is communicating. And the liturgy, which everybody has a liturgy, even if you're not a really liturgical church that has yep. a lot of formal elements or you do the same thing every week, everybody's got a liturgy. It's, it's the flow of what you do. You know, it's your order of service, and everybody gets into a kind of rhythm. And I mean, even even if you're at the most charismatic church, you still kind of I mean, Brooke described it when when we did her meet a member interview, like there was still kind of this flow to the service. And you may not know what was going to happen in this particular block, but that block was going to be there, that block of time. And and you knew it was going to be generally these things. So everybody's got a liturgy and that liturgy shapes you. And I love the way that C.S. Lewis described it. He described it as being like a dance. Liturgy is like a dance and you're only actually free to do the dance once you know the steps. And so the idea being there's this flow to the service that hopefully is shaping our hearts and freeing us to enter all these different spaces. And hopefully what it's shaping us around uh, is, is the gospel itself. I grew up in circles that music was just kind of the filler. Like it's what you did to kind of like Warm everybody up and get them ready for right. the real thing. Do three or four songs, yeah, yeah. sing some familiar hymns. Yeah. And let's yeah. do the real thing, which is the sermon. And then the music on the back end is really just to give people time it's, to it's respond to the sermon. Right, right. Um, but but really it's it's the the sermon is the thing, you know? And I, I obviously believe in the importance of preaching. I really do. But I really think we need to see worship more holistically. And I hope that us describing this helps helps us to do that. Yeah, and there's so much freedom in the back half of our worship sets here. That's something that's so unique about Shades is uh, not only do we come to the table and and sing worship songs together, people are are being prayed for on the sides. People are coming up to the open mic and sharing uh, testimony, sharing maybe a way that the Lord has blessed them or maybe sharing something that's really hard that they're going through. So that's th- those are all things that make the service unique, and of course, as a part of that last section of consummation, we we have we give our charge and our benediction at the end of of each service as right. well. Right, totally. Did you want to add anything else, Brad? Before I move on, or uh, Jonathan? Well, I had a few thoughts. Yep. If you've got a few, I only have one. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jonathan. <laughs> You can go. I already feel like my sarcasm. I feel like I need to confess my sarcasm. I feel like it's gotten a little too out of control this episode, and I've probably hurt some feelings, and I'm very sorry. Well, you're not forgiven, so. (laughs) 
Wow. No assurance oh, there. Oh, my word. No, the, that, o- the only thing I was... <laughs> Brad started to... T- I'm sorry, dude. I'm done. I'm done. The only other thing I was going to add was... Um, Go uh if you want to know more about this, go back to the episode titled For Stream Unity. We talk a lot more yep. about what we do on Sunday morning, why we do what we do, all of those kinds of things. And in there we'll talk about the charismatic stream. And what I was gonna say is one of the ways that expresses itself is is like John Mark ex- expressed at the back half of the service, there's a lot of room for freedom. And that includes musically too. So we do have a planned flow, we have planned songs, those don't always happen. Um, if lyrics aren't coming up on the screen, most likely that means John Mark is 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 gone. He's following the spirit wherever he's leading. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So just saying that that yes, we have a flow, but one of the things we try to do at Shades is not be tied to that. You know, right. leave room for however the Lord's going to lead each Sunday. Brad, what are your several things? <laughs> I'm done. I'm quiet now. I'm moving the mic away. No, I, I haven't fully thought through this, but one, I think to go back to the CCLI point about mm-hmm. people are only singing certain types of songs. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I love about our worship planning is that the conversation about prayer and the conversation about songs comes out of the reflection on the of the text. Yep. And yep. so the text kind of shapes that. And yep. if you're preaching through the Bible and not just going through your greatest hits as a pastor, then a bunch of different topics are going to come up. Yes. So the poor is going to come up. Uh, Issues of justice are going to come up. Uh, Going into the world and sacrificing, laying down our lives, praying for others to come to see Jesus, that's going to be there. And when that shapes the content of the songs and the prayers in the back half, it's going to force you to go outside of kind of a certain group of songs that only touches on particular topics. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think we really experienced that uh, in the Psalm series that we did. Because mm-hmm. the Psalms forced us into all of those places, into Lament. And one of the things I love about Shades, um, and, and because of the people the Lord has blessed us with here, including John Mark, um, is sometimes we can't find what we're looking for, so we're like, well, geez, we'll write it. <laughs> yeah, and and to, and John Mark did that. Like as you read through the the tweet, um, what do you call it? Tweet, uh, tweet thread. Thank you, the thread. I couldn't come up with that word. As you read through it, um, like I, I just thought about the fact. I'm like, uh, song. None of the songs ask God a question. Right. And I'm like, oh, dude, some of the songs John Mark did totally mm-hmm. uh, did that because that's what the text was about. You know, and so wrote songs totally in that vein. And that that is one of the detriments, I think, to the way that the Christian music industry works now, especially with regards to worship, is it has put the the songs that we primarily sing or that most churches primarily sing in the hands of a very few songwriters. So you don't get quite the breadth of 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 Christendom Mm -hmm. uh, contributing uh, to what we're singing, whereas for the longest time, um, songs were primarily written by local church leaders, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, and and at least lyrics were, and 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 came out of out of that. And I do think there is a bit of a resurgence of local churches sure. getting more involved in songwriting, and so it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see 
like in the coming years if there becomes kind of a more of a network way of sharing uh those those yeah. things like i like something like a you remember like noise trade yeah like coming yeah. to mind like mm-hmm. like for indie artists i wonder if there'd be a way for more kind of like local churches who are writing to to share their stuff anyway sorry that came well no way. one thing i was going to mention about the psalm series that we did i mean that's once again and i'm not saying we're the only church that has ever done a psalm oh, series sure. that is but what was what I tried to do as the worship pastor was say, okay, let me look at the text every week, and I'm going to do my best to try to put this text in the form of a song. And so when you get to passages, whichever the one, <laughs> the one about children being dashed against the rocks, I'm like, okay, um, how am I going to do that in a song that we all sing on Sunday morning? Right. Yeah. And so that's just been a unique facet of being of being able to work here and serve here at Shades is for me personally, it's been able to kind of look at a Twitter thread like this guy wrote and say, Okay, how can we address some of these issues where these mm-hmm. things are not being sung on a Sunday morning? Well, I, I think another thing that you do well, JM, is you search for and promote artists who do this well. Uh, also, so like we've talked a lot about Andy Squires, right? Andy Squires, his his album Poet Priest does lament very well, does asking the questions and hard questions very well. Uh, we've talked a lot about Young Oceans, yeah, and we sing several of their songs. And I just the song that was going through my head right now was the Will You Hear My Prayer, yeah. Lord? Will yep. You Hear My Cry? I mean, it's right. just a question, yeah, you know. Um, and so. Yeah, uh, it's out there. Yes, you there's just, a lot of great artists. There's a lot of great artists that are doing that work. You're not going to find it on the CCLI Top 100, not even in the Top 200 or 250. I mean, you're, it's just not going to be there. And so for me, the work has always been, you know, of course I'm going to do, you know, the the big ones from Hillsong or or if there's a very prominent like Elevation song that's that's really good that will work within our context here at Shades. Of course, I will. I will put that in the rotation and lead that. But it's like with with uh, the work that the Porter's Gate Collective is doing. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the different themed albums that they've released, neighbor songs, work songs, songs of lament. Um, you you kind of have to look a little harder for some of these more indie artists and and uh, you know use their music on Sunday morning. So, yeah, I mean all so so that flow of the service, um, I'm able to use that from week to week. And then really on a practical musical level, at that point, I'm just looking at you know keys to songs, who I have leading that that week, what are some female led songs that would be good, or could I change the key to work and make that make that flow. And really at the end of the day, like we've said already, you can rehearse and put together the best set list that you think that you have with all the best songs. At the end of the day though, you just have to let the spirit move and work and realize, and I, and I, I feel like we do this every Sunday before we go out there and, and do the service, we gather together and pray in my office. And um, I'm always just brought back to the fact that I'm completely dependent upon the Lord, yeah. that there is nothing more that I can do, um, you know, to, to make this service perfect or excellent. It's just, it's all in the hands of the spirit and we let the spirit move and work in a powerful way. Can I make one last point on mm-hmm. that? Only if I can make two. <laughs> you may. You may. Uh, this is going to be really dramatic, but I do feel like we're facing a little bit of a crisis in American evangelicalism in regards to Sunday morning. 
And I think it is in regards to um, a conversation around the importance of showing up on Sunday for embodied worship. Mm. I mean, I just think that for a lot of people, they don't see a difference between going to the lake house on the weekend and watching a live stream or showing up. Um, I think Sunday morning uh, becomes more about spending time together as a family. Like, why come to, and I think maybe we've talked about this before, but like, why come to church on Sunday morning when I could go get brunch with my kids and my best friends Mm -hmm. and have that time together? And then I could go home and I can listen to a Tim Keller sermon on YouTube and it's going to freaking slap and man, it's going (laughs) to, you know, like it's going to engage the text and it's going to be powerful and I'm going to apply it to my life. And then, yeah, maybe I'll listen to Hillsong or whatever, but why, why show up? Why be present? And I, this is, there's a lot of reasons obviously, but it just, and you were talking, John Mark, I mean, because we believe that Jesus is here. Hmm. Yep. And in some ways, it's yep. as simple as that. Like, we believe, yes, well, don't we believe Jesus is everywhere, Brad? <laughs> I'm glad and your sarcasm I came say, through and not mine. And I time. say, yes, high school Brad, we do. <laughs> but we believe that he's here in a special way and that he has purposes. And that Jonathan's sermon, or my sermon, is not simply an exchange in information. Mm-hmm. It's not a commentary. It's not just giving us information about the Bible, but rather it is a moment in which we look at the word and say, what does God have for shades for this time and place and moment? How are we to obey, to know, to live out this text in this time and space? And I don't know if that can always be translated on a podcast or a YouTube um, channel or what have you. There really is something about the moment. And I think that um, it's just going to be kind of a continued conversation and a continued battle for churches to kind of prioritize why people should show up and not go on vacation. Not to say, you you know, you can't have a weekend away or something. That's not what I'm getting at, clearly. (laughs) But I sound angry. I'm not angry. I'm just, (laughs) I think I'm passionate. Uh, but yeah, well, now I think that you're this has become a priority for me. Now that you're apologizing for your sarcasm, I'd like you to know you're not forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What, what's been so intriguing to me about what you're describing, Brad, uh, because I, I think we can all talk about like, you know, this was kind of already happening pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, you know, yeah. with the, the rise of online worship and live streaming and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. But it was accentuated. You know, because yes. like every church that had never live streamed before, including us, like all of a sudden you are. Yep. And people who never experienced live streams before, suddenly every Christian is having to yep. to experience it and all that. And but what's interesting to me is simultaneously, while I think COVID uh, has caused the question for a lot of people, well, can I just have the same experience just over live stream? I think in some ways it has also answered that question for you. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is one of the things we all experienced and know from COVID is uh, FaceTiming with my family is not the same as actually getting together with them. Right, yeah. It's not the same. Like, like our digital devices are great tools, and I'm thankful for them, but I think we all learned as we locked down and quarantined very quickly, they can never replace embodied presence. We are embodied creatures. Mm-hmm. Like God made us of dust and dirt. And we are meant to experience things embodied. And we all know that innately. 
We all know the concert is better than the CD. Or the, sorry, yep. CD, I just dated myself. <laughs> then we, the tape. Yeah. We all know that going to the Grand Canyon is better than the documentary on National Geographic. Like, we all know that actually showing up and being there and experiencing and taking things in through sight, sound, like, you don't have to be a believer to know that that's a reality. Yeah. And I think it's because of how God made us and designed it. And I think the ultimate affirmation of that is the incarnation itself. I'm going to get very Lutheran real quick. Oh, cool. <laughs> I think that's the ultimate affirmation of material, of 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 matter, that matter matters. Mm-hmm. Um, God took on flesh. He embodied so that we might know him in an embodied form. And I think that it, it is impossible to to make the argument um, that that can be replaced digitally. Yep, totally. And I get that it's hard. I get that it's hard on Sunday morning to bring the kids. I get that it's uh, can be hard to get out of bed. I get that the appeal of a day and to become the norm where it's just you and your family and you're resting. Like I get all that. I'll never forget what Grace Walensky said. The battle is getting here. That's where the battle is. Always. And, I, and that's true for me. And that's true for me too. We should, let, pastor. We, we should let uh we should let our wives talk about this. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I can't <laughs> yeah. tell you. I mean, Ashley has texted me so many times in the past and been like, ah, oh, I just had such a hard time getting the kids to church this morning. And yet when yep. they all get here though and the kids go into worship, it's just it I don't know, something yeah. changes. Yeah, but that's, that's very true though. The battle yeah. is getting here. Yeah, yeah so know that. Know. Let's name it. You know, it's a right. reality. We don't need to hide from it. Well, and and I just wanna say too, like from from us as pastors, um, I don't know, I've said this before, and I don't know I don't know if there's any way I can actually convince people I mean this and I'm genuine uh, or trying to be trying to be as genuine as possible. But but I mean this. This is not an important issue to me because I want the numbers to be buffed up on Sunday morning attendance shades value. I could care less. Like as a pastor, I care about we we care about the people here and we truly believe this is good for your soul, your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with his people. We truly believe that. We mm-hmm. really, really do. And and that's why we, we place such an importance uh, on it. And, uh, and I understand. I understand that there are still people, even at this point in the pandemic, who have very legitimate reasons for taking uh, cautious approaches. Um, they care for loved ones who are immunocompromised. They themselves are immunocompromised. And so please don't hear it. This is not guilt Right on any of that, and I also know there are people who it's particularly hard to show up uh, to worship because of bad experiences in the past. They've been hurt, uh, right? Abused by church communities, and I want to recognize that and name that. We we're not trying to heap guilt on you at all, uh, but in in general, Generally we're speaking, talking in yeah. general. Um, like we really believe that this is for the the health of the Christian community and you as individual believers real quick before yeah. we're done. This was awesome. This is going to be it. The tag, the, the, the end of his email, what are some differences between songs you enjoy personally and songs we sing in the service? I'm going to answer this very quickly. My short answer is sometimes the songs that I like are weird and um, <laughs> sometimes they're not always appropriate for Sunday morning. And I think I have enough awareness to know that and to know when I'm choosing a song 
you know, this is not, if I'm listening to a song, I'm going, ah, this is not going to work on a Sunday morning. Not everyone is going to get this. This asks too many questions or this is too vague or, or esoteric or artistic or whatever. I'm not trying to make myself sound like I'm some genius savant or whatever. It's not that. It's, it's more that I just really like weird, unique stuff. That being said, if somebody asked, what, like, what is your goal on Sunday morning when you're leading worship? I would probably just say simply it's just to point to Christ. The songs that I choose, the way that I set up the set list is to point to Christ. If I am not doing that one thing, then I really don't believe that I'm doing my job properly. Yep. And it's just to point to Christ. It's not to point to myself or any uh, interesting musical arrangements that we can come up with on Sunday morning. It's just to point to Christ. I want people to enter into this space and meet uh, the living God and yeah. and learn about him through song and lyric. And because a lot of times when people leave on Sunday morning, it may be that song that they heard. It may be How Great Thou Art that we sing on Sunday that carries them, you know, carries with them through the rest of that week. They can't get it out of their head, How Great Thou Art. Ultimately, that's that's my aim. Just point to Christ. Yes. You know. That's the goal of our service, to make right. much of Jesus. Father's Day, Mother's Day, Fourth of July, Jonathan's 10th anniversary. We want to build up the body. We want to encourage the body. Yes. Right. We want to pray for individuals, but we do so all in Christ. We do so all with the hope of glorifying him and directing our hearts towards him and living out the good news of being his disciples. So guys, I legit, that's how we pick songs. I legit almost started crying. right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Like as the two of you were talking, I was like tearing up over here. <laughs> oh, it was awesome, oh, man! It was awesome. I love it. Oh, yeah, I love it. That, great questions, Doug. Questions, Doug. questions from Doug. Questions from Doug. Yeah, and and Doug, we'll come back to that plagiarism one. Woo, that's a big one. Yep, yep, yep. Brad's yeah. already stressing out about it. He's can't stop thinking. I got, about got it. so much. I got to research. <laughs> oh. Well, just one more quick reminder for everybody about February the twenty third, that Wednesday night. First ever and probably last. Um, yeah, probably the only one. Shades Midweek live event for episode 100. Uh, come at 6 o'clock. Bring your dinner. We're going to hang out. There's going to be games and prizes and fun. It's it's, it's going to be a yeah. good a good time. And Tell don't your friends. It's going to yes. be interactive. And don't forget to uh, email in in the next week or so. Uh, we'll choose the best, funniest, wittiest, whatever email it's totally to up read to us. at the 100th anniversary you want a prize what why should they email in brad well because it trades midweek you're part of the conversation